real know-it-all? Do you annoy your family by shouting the answers while watching Jeopardy? Do you drive people crazy when you start a sentence with, well, actually? Well, guess what? You can go fact yourself. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Go Fact Yourself, the show where we take the smartest people we know and make them look dumb. And then smart again. I'm Helen Hong. And now, socially distancing from our homes in Los Angeles, here's our moderator, J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, Helen. How are you doing? Nice to see you. I am in a great mood, J. Keith, because I, re- Why is that? I recently got a piece of mail that was addressed to Helen and Dodger Hong. <laughs> I think I might know what this is regarding. And I was very surprised because I was like, I didn't order anything for me and my dog. Who is this from? And it was from you, J. Keith Van Stratton, and Jim Newman, the producers of Go Fact Yourself. And it was a lovely housewarming gift. Well, we wanted we want you to be warm in your home and uh, and Dodger as well. Well, it was the gift itself was very cute. It's like a splish splash thing for a dog. But really, the real gift was just getting that piece of mail that had my my dog's name. <laughs> I was so excited. I was like on my front porch like, oh, my God, Dodger, Dodger, come here. You got mail, Dodger. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good because now he can register to vote now that uh, he's got a piece of mail with his name on it. Uh, I always like it when I go to the vet and uh, there's a little file that will say Muffin Van Stratton. <laughs> Well, you know what? I used to take him to Bone Sweet Bone in Studio City, which is a great, uh, great little like animal, um, you know, grooming and and daycare place. And um, one time I called and I was like, hey, I'm calling about Dodger. And they were like, oh, Dodger Smith. And I was so offended. I was like, oh, you have no Dodger Hong. It's Dodger Hong. And they were like, oh, I'm sorry. We have multiple Dodgers. And I was so offended. I was like, so then every time I call there, I'm like, hi, I'm calling about Dodger Hong. Dodger Hong. (laughs) H-O-N-G. Dodger Hong. And they're like, right, right, right. Does he respond to his first or last name or both? (laughs) He responds to Dodger. I've never tried calling him Mr. Hong. I'll have to try it. Excellent. Well, please, please report back on that. Uh, congratulations you. on your new home. And uh, I'm glad that you, that you all enjoyed it. Today on Go Fact Yourself, two guests will compete to answer questions about facts they know, facts they might not know, and frankly, facts they should know. Plus, we'll meet actual experts in two very different topics. And finally, we'll declare one of our guests the winner of today's show. Let's get started and meet today's guest, Helen, who is up first. She is a comedian, actor, podcast host, and author of the upcoming book, Little Miss Little Compton. It's Arden Marine. Hello, Hi, Arden Marine. Hi, everyone. Thank you for having me. Oh, Hi, it's such Arden. a pleasure to, to see you and welcome you to the show. Now, I understand that you and Helen uh, know each other and have actually worked together in the world of comedy. Tell us about that. Yes, about two summers ago, when the world was slightly, just a little different, <laughs> Hel- <laughs> Helen and I did a, we both co-headlined a stand-up show at a casino. In Milwaukee. And, in Milwaukee. <laughs> and it was really fun. And we had a nice breakfast buffet together. And I felt that we really bonded and had a nice time. We did bond. We did. We bonded because it was kind of a weird gig. It was at a casino yep. and we were performing in this gigantic theater. Yes. An huge. absolutely enormous theater, uh, which we did not pack. But <laughs> I actually was, we did better than I thought I know, we it would. Was, it was full-ish, but it was definitely with all not of packed. that Milwaukee casino nightlife. You couldn't <laughs> fill a uh, showroom. We did better than I thought we would. Sometimes when people haven't chosen you as much, like if it's not a theater or a club, if, I felt like people were with us yeah. and like into it. Yeah, and, I think uh, they had I, a good time. 
Arden, as uh, Helen mentioned, of course, you're known uh, for your acting roles. Of course, you were on Insatiable on Netflix. You did four seasons on Mad TV. You've guest starred on Friends. You talk about uh, all of that and more in this new book. Tell us about the title, Little Miss Little Compton, where that comes from. My parents met in New York City. They were co-workers, and they never went on one date with one another. And one New Year's Eve, they got engaged on a dare. What? And they did it for vacation time, that everybody got two extra weeks of vacation time. My dad's plan was... We'll, we'll trick the company. We'll get four weeks of vacation. I'll take you on a trip to South America. We'll come back and we'll get it annulled. And then my mom upped his auntie the next day. She kind of called his bluff and she said, I will marry you, but I do not want to get it annulled. And then when they decided to have kids, my dad said, I will live. He didn't really want kids. And he was like, I'll, I, if we have to do this, I'll do it one of two places, either Manhattan or this tiny, tiny, tiny town in Rhode Island called Little Compton, Rhode Island, <laughs> that has a general store, no stoplights. We had three restaurants, but two burned to the ground. We have oh, a no. we have a caboose that's like a chicken caboose that chickens live in that they move around a field. Um, and that's my mom chose. She'd never she chose Little Compton, and that's what? where I was born. I just wanted to be on TV. They would just show all these like. But it was like, all they showed was like Busby Berkeley musicals. There was nothing contemporary. I wanted to be like a cigarette girl at the Rainbow Room. And so it refers to, it was just, I just had stars in my eyes from the time I flew out. And when I booked my first sitcom, I felt like the girl in Little Miss Sunshine, who was just like, I couldn't believe I got to move into my TV and I was freaking out. And I became Little Miss Little Compton. And I, that's the, title. the whole oh. time I, the whole time that we were, you know, pr- like producing the show and like talking about your book and stuff. And I thought you meant Compton, Los Angeles. Right. That's I know. Like everybody does. A, everybody a does. Fame. <laughs> I mean, they'd never heard of Straight Outta Compton when, even when there was like an album, it was not until the movie a few years ago that they realized that they had a funny name. Like wow. they never had hurt, literally had no awareness that there was another Compton. Compton. And then after the movie came out, though, they decorated everything in the theme of Compton, I presume. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. Lot, lots of gangs of fishermen and lobstermen competing, farmers. You know, it was truly, they. I mean, if you think the branding of like the straight out of, like remember when everybody was doing mm-hmm. like the straight out of Nashville? I mean, mm-hmm. the amount of straight out of little Compton mugs and t-shirts and <laughs> it was, it was really a, an exciting discovery to realize that they were kind of famous adjacent and could not be more different. Oh. Oh my goodness. <laughs> well, the book is a lot of fun. You tell a lot of great stories. It's also very emotional and, and, yep. and very tender. I think people are really going to appreciate that. Um, Thank I have you. to ask you about your podcast, Will You Accept This Rose? It is a podcast where you talk about uh, The Bachelor. Uh, and uh, you told me just before the show that you weren't a longtime watcher no. of The Bachelor. It was, it was, it was no. a recent phenomenon for you. How did you, how did you get into it? You know what? Uh, my husband one day came home, and this is not a guy that even likes any reality TV, but he was working with these ladies who were talking about, it was the season where they, he was like, you have to watch The Bachelor tonight. And I was like, I have a life. You know, clearly I don't. <laughs> I was like, I'm not watching that. And then he's like, no, no, no. Apparently tonight it's the season where they were bringing in two women. And then it was almost like Survivor. The guys had to vote to decide who they wanted to compete for. So I thought, okay, I'll watch one episode. 
episode. And then I started watching it. I was completely hooked. I really wanted to find the one that they picked. I wanted her to find love. But I was also mesmerized, almost like a sporting event of like picking my final four. Like who's. And then I noticed on Twitter, like I saw like Paul F. Tompkins tweeting about it and like Paget Brewster tweeting about it. And I thought all my funny friends, I became obsessed with it. And I, I had no one to talk to about it because my husband wasn't watching it. And I thought, well, I'm going to create a podcast just so I can talk to funny people about this. And then so we do make we don't hate watch it. We do make jokes about it. Mm-hmm. And it's my favorite thing that I do. That's awesome. Uh, last thing I want to ask you about, you were recently featured in the Los Angeles Times. Uh, it was not about the book. It was not about the podcast, not about your acting career. Tell people what it was about. It's very apparent to us watching your uh, <laughs> watching your background right now. Okay, so I bought my first house two years ago and I contracted it and designed it all myself. It's just this little teeny tiny house and it's pretty colorful and specific. <laughs> and say. they they did this beautiful that we we shot the piece in January. I just figured it was never going to run, but um it, if you look at it there's a lot of tips on. I think everybody's spending so much time in their house. It's like mm. It's a hard time right now. And I know, you know, money's tight. And so I pitched to them. I was like, I'm really good on a budget. Here's a few tips on how to make your house happy and bright and a little bit of a, a makeover on not a lot of money. Well, it, so was, it was a terrific piece and uh, some terrific shots. I really recommend people uh, look at that. Well, we're happy to have the bright and cheerful Arden Marine. Thanks for thank joining you, us, Arden. Thank you, Jakey. Thank you, Helen. <laughs> Helen, against whom will Arden be competing? He is a legendary radio personality, game show host, and producer whose career spans six decades and counting. It's Wink Martindale. Hello, Wink Martindale. <laughs> it sounds, it makes me sound very old. <laughs> well, it makes you sound very experienced. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. Yes, yes. Well, we you, we did say legendary. It's not just that you've lasted for a long time. It's that you've done such amazing uh, and celebrated work for such a long time. Congratulations. Yeah, I've been blessed, uh, Keith. I, I really am doing what I always wanted to do from the time I was old enough to uh, know what a radio was. I started mm-hmm. off as a radio announcer at the age right. of 17 and then moved on into television and... As you said, I've been in this thing for over 60 years. Your, it's amazing. Your voice still has that incredible radio quality. Well, thank you. Is that something that came natural to you, or did you did you have to work on developing a radio voice? No, I never did. I just uh, I always wanted to be in radio, and fortunately, God blessed me with a voice that was, I guess, right for radio. And I have a face for radio, so that's good. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting because as a, I, I was reading, and as you said, that uh, you wanted to be in radio as as a radio announcer as a kid. So how did you become a radio announcer? Like I said, from the time I was eight or nine, from the time I knew that you could talk into a microphone and somebody could hear you out on the other end of a radio speaker, I wanted to be a quote-unquote radio announcer. And uh, Fade to Black can come up on years later, and my Sunday school teacher uh, happened to be the manager of a little 250-watt radio station in my hometown, Jackson, Tennessee, and I used to bug him to death. When are you going to give me a job, Chick? His name was Chick Wingate. When are you going to give me a job? So finally, one night, we were sitting on uh, with some buddies on Court Square. Every little town has its Court Square. And it was a hot summer night in 1951. And um, we're sitting there just chatting, you know, solving the problems of the day. And up comes this little Henry J. automobile. And driving it was Chick Wingate. He gets out of the car. And I said, Chick, again, when are you going to give me a job as a radio guy? <laughs> he said, damn it, come on up. 
And we oh. went up on the fourth floor of the First National Bank building where the radio station WPLI was located. He sat me in front of a microphone, tore off some Associated Press wire copy and a couple of commercials. And uh, I went through those like Grant going through Richmond. I mean, he couldn't believe that I was that ready to be a radio announcer. Mm. And quickly, I'll tell you, I'll tell you why I was able to read so well and sell so well. Uh, my dad was a lumber inspector. We didn't make a lot of money. Uh, we weren't rich, hardly. <laughs> and uh, every Christmas, he would get a $100 bill as a bonus and a year's subscription to Life magazine. And uh, I grew up reading the pictorial Life magazine. And every time it would come in, I would take it into the back bedroom, close the door, tear out the advertisement pages, and pretend I was on the radio and I would do commercials uh, ad-libbed around those uh, pages from Life Magazine. So that's the reason when he sat me in front of the microphone that night, I knew how to sell, how to pitch this, how to pitch that. He said, you were ready. You come, you come down here tomorrow after school. I was in my senior year of high school. After school tomorrow, you come down and I'll have Mayor Smith here, Mayor George Smith, own the radio station. He said, if he likes you as much as I do, you got a job. So sure enough, I couldn't wait for school to be out the next day. I uh, got on my bicycle. I made it down to WPLI downtown, went upstairs to the fourth floor of the First National Bank building, sat in front of the same microphone with the same copy and the same commercials, read them as I'd done the night before. Mayor Smith loved me. He gave me a job, 25 bucks a week, and that was my start in radio. Unbelievable. That's so great. You just kept asking, but then you also were ready when the opportunity presented itself. Absolutely. That's great. Well, of course, a lot of people know you from your work on uh, game shows, Trivial Pursuit, Can You Top This, High Rollers, Debt, Gambit, and the long-running Tic-Tac-Toe. Did you have a favorite show that you hosted, either one of the long-running ones or one that was a a short run? Well, I I really liked several of the shows that I had the pleasure of hosting. I loved High Rollers, The Big Dice, which I inherited from Alex Trebek. He had done it first, and then I did it second time. I'll take any of Alex Trebek's throwaways. Anytime. Yeah, for real. <laughs> I, keep, I keep waiting for him to throw away Jeopardy so I can catch that. I don't think that's ever going to happen. I watch Tic-Tac-Doe, I think, every day. Same. I loved Tic-Tac-Doe. I loved it. Well, I'll tell you, Arden, I knew you were a lady of extremely good taste, and now I know it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, that, was the, that was the show that I guess I enjoyed the most because it gave me 12 years of employment. And you do get sure. used to those checks coming in on a regular basis. You know what I mean? <laughs> I've heard. <laughs> Heck yeah. People always think of you as the quintessential game show host because you were always so smooth, so confident, so personable. Did, did you ever get nervous and it just didn't show? No, no, I don't think I was ever nervous doing a show. After you're out there for five minutes and you meet the players and you start playing the game, that all goes away. And the reason I got into game shows, kind of interesting uh, to mm-hmm. me and still to this day and maybe to you, uh, when I was a DJ, Uh, playing records on the radio. I was a rock jock at KFWB in Los Angeles. I was the morning man, and I'd get off the air at 9 o'clock in the morning, and I'd rush downstairs to a little coffee shop called Aldo's, have my breakfast, and I'd rush home, so I'd be home by noon to watch a show called Password, hosted by Alan Mm. Ludden. And I became addicted to that show. And I did some research, and I found out that Alan Ludden went in twice a week and knocked out 10 shows, and the other five days, he played golf. And I thought, man, that's not a bad way to make a buck. So tell me, you, you camped out and called out to him to, from his car. 
Yeah. <laughs> I went to my agent, Noel Rubeloff, God rest his soul, and I said, no, send me on some interviews to be a game show host. And he did. And the second show he sent me on was a local show on Channel 5 in Los Angeles called What's the Name of That Song? It became successful. It went on NBC as What's This Song? And I did it for only a year. It lasted a year, but it got me launched into the game show world. That's amazing. There were a couple shows uh, that you actually got to be a contestant on, on Tattletales, and they did a celebrity version of Password Plus. Did you enjoy sort of flipping the tables and being a contestant? Yeah, I was always a better host than a contestant, as you may find out a little <laughs> later in this podcast. <laughs> but I... Uh, I, uh, Sandy and I, my wife Sandy and I, Sandy and I have been married 45 years, and uh, we went on uh, Tattletales, and that was one of my uh, favorite shows as a, as a guest. I was on a bunch of shows mm-hmm. as a guest, but uh, that was a show where you, uh, uh, they ask you how much you knew about your spouse, and we mm-hmm. happened to win that day, so it was a lot of fun. It was hosted by the late Bert Convy on CBS. Sure. Oh, great, great I love show. Bert yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you've been married 45 years. Can you tell us uh, what, what's the secret to a, to a marriage that long? I think one word wraps it up. Friends. Mm-hmm. We are friends mm-hmm. to this day. We enjoy the company of each other. We are with each other 24 hours a day because I'm semi-retired now and we live in uh, Palm Desert, California. So if we get tired of each other, we're just out of luck. <laughs> but but we we met in we met we met in Palm Springs at the old Gene Autry Hotel back in 1970 uh, just by accident and I started dating her and we got married in 1975 and uh, it's been a great marriage and I love her today more than ever did. Oh, Aww. that's very sweet. Last thing I wanted to ask you about uh, I learned recently that there is another Wink Martindale. Uh, that you actually had an interaction with. Tell us about tell us about this other Wink Martindale that maybe some sports fans would know, but I did not. I had no idea until last fall. But there is a a a defensive coach for the Baltimore Ravens whose name is Wink Martindale. I can't imagine. Wow. I never could imagine That's two people crazy two people walking the in this planet with the same name, a silly <laughs> name like Wink Martindale. That but is sure so. Enough, Crazy. <laughs> they they invited me to come back to uh, see a game with the Baltimore Ravens and uh, meet all the players and everything. And unfortunately, it was late in the season last year, and I didn't get to. But ho- hopefully this year, if we play football, although I don't want to get on an airplane these days. I may no. wait until next no. year to do it. But I was amazed to find out there were two Wink Martindales walking the planet. Was he named after you? He had to be. He had to be. I don't know. I've never talked to him personally, but uh, all I know is that uh, his name is Wink Martindale, and that's wow. that's his given name. Wink is my nickname. My name is Winston Conrad Martindale, and Wink is short for Winky Martindale, which they called <laughs> me as a kid, and then I shortened it to Wink because you don't come to Hollywood with a name like Wink Martindale. So uh, <laughs> uh, I shortened it to Wink, and uh, it served me well over the years. Wow. I should so say great. so. Well, uh, you serve us well by being here. We're so happy to have the one and only Mr. Wink Martindale. (laughs) Thank you. I was so excited when you emailed me who the other guest was when I saw that. I mean, when I tell you my love of uh, game shows raised me and I was so excited that you were the other guest. So this is a thrill. Well, thank you, Arden. I won't tell you what Wink said about you, Arden. Yeah. No, it's okay. Uh, all right. That's all right. I'm, te- I'm Teflon. Don't let him fool you, Arden. It was all good. It was all, all good. good. All good. Okay, all right, great. Arden and Wink, we asked each of you to provide us with a few topics outside your field of work in which you feel you have some expertise. Arden, you told us you know a lot about the movie Moonstruck, the musical Little Shop of Horrors, and the fact that not all cats can be bonded. 
Yes. Whereas Wink, you said you know a lot about radio history, the 1950s St. Louis Cardinals, and Elvis Presley. Now, later on, we're going to ask each of you some in-depth trivia questions about one of those topics. But first, we're going to get your thoughts on something you might know nothing about. It's time to split some hairs with our What's the Difference round. I'll have one question for each of you, each worth up to two points. If either of you gives an incorrect answer, the other person has a chance to steal. Your topic today, tort reform. First up, Arden. I couldn't, I'm so sorry, I couldn't understand the word you said. What reform? That is tort, as in tort reform, tort reform being the re-engineering of the legal system to some degree to make lawsuits usually less frivolous or less difficult for people to deal with. Okay. (laughs) Arden, your question comes from a listener. Who is it, Helen? It's from Sam Gladstone of Toronto, Canada. Listeners, if you would like to submit a suggestion for our What's the Difference round, go to gofactyourpod.com and click on Get Involved. Thank you, Helen, and thank you, Sam. All right, Arden, in the topic of tort reform, tort. They both can reform your dessert plans, but what is the difference between a tort and a tart? A tort and a tart. Thank you so much for asking. I'm so excited that you um, <laughs> asked. You know, it's funny. I, I as a as a tort tart lover, um, a tart. I'm going to start with the second one, and okay. and I appreciate that they could tell that I clearly had ever heard the word tort in my entire life. And I, I you know, you don't want to brag at parties. You don't want to be a show sure. off in a no. restaurant. You're it's very off-putting. modest about your tort tart knowledge. Uh, my yeah, tort tart knowledge. Learn. Clearly, I've heard the word tort. As when I interrupted you and I said, "I'm sorry, what?" That was just me playing, being yeah. modest. I didn't want Wink to be in. Intimidated at my expertise. I fell for it. I'm not going to lie. Gracious. I fell for it. Yes, <laughs> I'm going to say so. A a tart is um is a a pastry. It is mm-hmm. um, an open faced pastry mm-hmm. that one would um, cook in a one of those pans that has a spring bottom. So you cook mm-hmm. it in a spring bottom. Um, mm-hmm. You can fill it with a lemon curd or maybe a little bit of a custard layer and put some berries on. Um, it's French in the origin. As I okay. know that from my time of the cordon bleu. Uh, <laughs> I, a tour and yes. I'm so glad that you asked me about this. A tort yes. is a multi-layered um, cake, oh. and it has uh, cream filling. It is um, many, many layers. It's no, it's a very tall dessert. Um, uh, pe- people, it's a celebratory thing. You might th- have it at a child, like a, a coming of age party, and that is a tort. Wow. Okay, we have Arden's answer. Good luck to Helen writing all of that down. Uh, we don't know yet if Arden is correct. Wink Martindale, what do you think about the difference between a tort and a tart? Well, I have to agree with everything she said. I, I, I don't disagree because I think she, uh, in fact, she beautifully uh, described <laughs> a tort and a tart. Thank yes. you so much, Wink. I knew yes. we would get along. Thank you. All right. All right, well, it is, it is time to desert this segment. Let's go to Helen Hong at the judge's table for the facts. Here are the facts. In general, a tort is a type of cake, and a tart is a type of pie. Specific- oh, my God. Yeah, specifically, a tort is a cake that usually has layers. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> in fact, in many European languages, the word tort simply means cake. A tart is basically a pie without a top crust, though unlike a pie, the sides of a tart are often ridged and go straight up and down. 
That's right. And while a pie is usually served from the pan in which it was baked, tarts, as Arden noted, are usually taken out of the pan and placed on some sort of a serving dish before being sliced and distributed. Or I'll just shove the whole thing in my mouth. (laughs) Helen, how did our guest do on that? I think Arden got both parts of that correct. I, I think so as well. I can't Arden, what are you that. talking about? You went to the cordon bleu. You're so right. You're right. I didn't want to be a blowhard. You're right. Thank you so much. The cordon bleu. Yes. Uh, congratulations. Two points for Arden. Merci. Merci. Up next in tort reform, Wink with reform. Wink, while they both are ways to change things up, what is the difference between reformed and transformed? Reformed and transformed. Let's see. Reform would be a situation where you take a situation and totally Mm -hmm. change it 100%. That would be my definition of uh, reform. Transform is to take a situation and completely turn it upside down and over and beyond what it was originally and it becomes an entirely different situation. That would be trend to transform something. All right, we've got Wink Martindale's answer. We don't know yet if he is entirely correct. Arden, what do you think? Anything that Wink says sounds correct to me. I'm just going, because I enjoy gaming, I'm just gonna throw my hat in just to keep it interesting. Okay. Um, I'm going to say that reform is sometimes if you perhaps, if you take a, a, a person or, or a criminal or something and it's mm-hmm. like you know what they've been reformed they've they've looked within they've done a little soul searching <laughs> and now they've been of service and now you know what they're being of service to the community they've been reformed transformed is you have uh, perhaps a space like an old garage and you come in and you make magic where there was nothing and um, it, it's does in not the involve, same... Does not involve the same soul searching necessarily. No, it's more okay. like a, a, you might do it, say, in interior design uh, hmm. and you and you you take something that was maybe falling apart and hmm. then you, uh, you, you can, in the same area... It hasn't yes. moved or anything. You make it You make it something different. <laughs> All right. Well, this segment needs to be performed. Let's go to Helen Hong at the judges' table for the facts. Here are the facts. Something is reformed in order to improve it, at least in the eyes of the reformer, and it requires an active desire to change. Something is transformed in order to change it from one thing to another. It does not require an active desire to change. Like a caterpillar will transform into a butterfly whether we think it's a good idea or not. I I think it's a pretty good idea. Uh, That's right. As an example, when Jetfire started as a deception, and later became an Autobot, he was a reformed Transformer. And when he went to a liberal synagogue, he was a reform, reformed Transformer. Helen, how did our guest do in that round? Hmm, uh, that was a tricky one. I was doing a lot of uh, frantic scribbling. Uh, There were just a lot of words being thrown about. But I'm going to say, I'm going to give Wink Martindale one point uh, because you did say transform is to turn something upside down and change into something completely different. Um, Mm -hmm. And then uh, I'm actually going to give Arden a point as well because of your beautiful poetic description of of a criminal who's trying to change. The Soul Search. Yeah. Yeah, Soul Searching. It's a great movie. All right, so what is our score at the end of this round? At the end of that round, Arden Marine has three points and Wink Martindale has one point. Those scores are bound to change as we move on to questions about topics our guests have chosen for themselves. It's all up ahead when we come back on Go Fact Yourself. Go Fact Yourself. 
Hi, my name is Graham Clark, and I'm one half of the podcast Stop Podcasting Yourself, a show that we've recorded for many, many years. And uh, at the moment, instead of being in person, we're recording remotely, and uh, you wouldn't even notice. You don't even notice the lag. That's right, Graham. And uh, the great thing about uh, this... Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Okay. And okay, go ahead. And you can listen to us uh, every week on MaximumFun.org. Or wherever you get your podcasts. Your podcasts. Welcome back to Go Fact Yourself, where our score is Arden Marine with three points and Wink Martindale with one point. Once again, here's J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, Helen. Arden Marine, of your many interests, you told us you know a lot about the movie Moonstruck, the musical Little Shop of Horrors, and the fact that not all cats can be bonded. Let's yes. find out a little bit more about each of those. First, you said you know a lot about the movie Moonstruck. Is there a better movie than the movie Moonstruck? I'm sorry. I lost my hand. I lost my run. Johnny has his hand. A crazy Nicolas Cage falling in love with Cher. You throw in a little Olympia Dukakis. I will never not watch this when it's on television. I just think it's a perfect movie. I also love movies about New York City. It's just like chef's kiss of a movie. <laughs> and you also said you know a lot about the musical Little Shop of Horrors. When I uh, was 10 years old, I got to go see the original off-Broadway production of it. Oh. And, oh my God, I saw... Um, Ellen Green played Audrey, and they had at the the it was this little tiny thing. I think Stomp. I think it's the same theater that Stomp is in, and the plant Audrey too. The vines came down <gasps> like all into the audience. Like they dropped it down, and it rocked my world. Wow. I loved it. That's the same reason why I loved cats as a kid because the <laughs> yes. cats came out into the audience, and I was probably eight or nine or ten, and I was like mind blown. I like the idea that they were just dropping cats from the ceiling at the end. <laughs> I'm sure that's been done in one production or another. I wanted to be Audrey so badly that I staged it in college because they did it in my high school and I did not get cast. And I actually directed it in college <gasps> in a sad, sad move just so I could be Audrey. Totally <laughs> worth it. So worth it. Loved it. Well, speaking of cats, you also said you know a lot about the fact that not all cats can be bonded. Tell us about that. Thank you so much for asking. My um, <laughs> my husband, Dan, loves cats. He is a straight male cat lady. I was always more of a dog gal. And uh, cats don't really like me. And my friend's cat chose me as like his cat wife. And I, I my heart softened. I mean, I'm not a monster. Mm -hmm. And so I was open to it. And he said, okay, cats need a friend. You know, cats get lonely. You need to get a pair. And he goes, but you know what? We don't need to get a bonded pair. Let's go get a pair. We'll go pick out two cats that like you. We went and rescued a 13-year-old lady and this kitten who hated each other. Oh. Um, so then I was like, okay, this poor kitten is living with like Elaine Stritch. Like we need to get her. We need to get this poor kitten a friend. So mm -hmm. then we got another cat who is just like just the town predator okay and then i accidentally a relative of mine passed away and what? there was another cat nobody took it and i was trying to make my brother take it and i was like look and he was like you already have three cats just what's the difference between three or four i now have four non-bonded cats and none of them like each other 
None of them like each other. And I think my husband has done this as a trick that should something happen to me, there'll be a line of women down the block because he's a handsome guy with four cats. <laughs> should something happen to him, I will never even have a handshake again, much less no human touch. It, I will never have a date again. I, you have four cats that don't like each other living in the same roof with you? In a tiny, when you see the LA Times article, a tiny, I like I basically one step up from tiny house living. I have four hissing, scratching, four non-bonded cats living. The It is a whole community of hatred in my house. But at least the decor is on point. Ripped to shreds, ripped yeah, to shreds, but on point. It's I've I've it's a hell of my own making. Helen. Wow. Well, I, I I am a cat guy as well, and I have to say I was I I complain sometimes about my two cats not getting along, but it is nothing like that. So um, thank you for taking one for the team. Uh, all right. So to summarize, Arden, you said you know a lot about the movie Moonstruck, the musical Little Shop of Horrors, and the fact that not all cats can be bonded. Tonight we're going to quiz you about Little Shop of Horrors. Hey, I love it. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, do you have a favorite uh, song or favorite line from the show? I mean, um, where'd you meet him? The gutter. The gutter. It's a nice spot. <laughs> I love the gutter. I love somewhere that's green. I mean, suddenly Seymour, number one. It's got to be suddenly Seymour. I mean, all of them. Downtown. I got to go suddenly Seymour. It's uh, tied with somewhere, somewhere that's green. I don't know. I can't pick between those two. It's well, like picking between the, the twin. Well, in addition yeah. to the cats, you and I have something in common. I was in a production of Little Shop in <gasps> college because my friend and I wanted to be in it, so we made our own production. What? I played Seymour in college. Oh, my God. I bet you were a great Seymour. I, yeah, you, I was so pretty wait, good. Did you direct it, too? I so did we, not direct it. No, no. I, I, I knew my limitations to some, to some, we to some both, degree, at least. The sad, we both yep. staged it. Wasn't it worth it? It was well, worth 100%. it. hundred <laughs> percent. One oh my of my God. close friends played the, was the voice of uh, Audrey too. And uh, it was, it was a, it's a, it's such a great show and the music is so great. I, I think we proved that even a bunch of uh, weirdo hippies at Sarah Lawrence can, <laughs> can pull it off. I'm telling you right now, if at any point in this, I've got your back. If you throw to me with this, lift up your head. You think oh. I'm not going to, you think I'm not going to do it with you? You're wrong. Okay, well, that'll, that could be the bonus track for, uh, for this <laughs> okay, episode. Great. All right, well, just ahead, we're going to enlist the help of a bona fide expert in your topic with our three-part question. But before that, to give you a chance to show off, here are five trivia questions about the topic, each worth one point. If you want it, you're allowed a total of two hints in these five questions. Now, Wink Martindale, do listen closely because you can steal if Arden gets any of them wrong. Wink, by the way, how much do you know about the musical Little Shop of Horrors? Nothing. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Arden... <laughs> Great. It's, I'm with it's, you, It's Wink. a chance for your dream I'm to come you. through. <laughs> oh, my God. Helen, Helen, you're not that familiar with it either. I, I, I feel like maybe I saw it on TV once. Okay. I don't sure. love the movie version. I don't love I'm the movie. Sure. <laughs> okay. Well, Arden, you and I will be able to geek out for the next few minutes. Here's your first question about Little Shop of Horrors. Great. Little Shop's book and lyrics were written by Howard Ashman, and its music was written by a man who went on to achieve an EGOT, winning multiple Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, and Tony Awards. Who is this composer who won Oscars with Ashman for Beauty and the Beast and The Little Mermaid? Alan Menken. Helen? That is correct. Yes, that is correct. We didn't fool you there. Uh, you did not need the hint, but if you had needed the hint, Helen, what would that hint have been? It rhymes with Blalin Blanken. That is how you write a hint, ladies and gentlemen. I Thank appreciate you. you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, fun fact, we talk a little bit about Alan Menken with guest Rachel Bloom in episode 61 of Go Fact Yourself. All right, here is question number two. Many people who know Little Shop because of the 1986 movie version might be surprised at how the stage musical actually ends. That's because the ending of the movie was changed after negative responses from test audiences. Spoiler alert, but how does the stage show end that is fundamentally different than the movie? 
And this is why I had a problem with the movie. This mm. was why, because the plan has to kill everyone. Everyone. A Peoria, everyone. Everyone dies by Audrey too. They take over the world <laughs> and they made a happy ending. But that's the fun of it. It's like a naughty fun. The plant wins. Helen? That is correct. <laughs> that is, of course, correct. Very good. Uh, did you get a chance to see that alternate ending? I think it's been it's since been released on, on Blu-ray and it's on YouTube and whatnot. Oh, was it fun? It's pretty fun. Yeah, I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, here's a fun fact. According to reports, about $5 million was spent shooting that ending, which was about a fifth of the movie's budget, only to have it scrapped. I have to watch it then. I mean, I, it's fun to watch. I'll have They went to through all that, that trouble, Arden. Yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah, yeah, sure. All right, you're two for two, Arden. Here's question number three. Throughout the show, commentary is provided by three street urchins whose mm -hmm. style is reminiscent of girl groups of the 1960s, and so are their names. What are two of those three singing urchins' names? Okay. So we're singing mm -hmm. at 5 a.m. Sing it. Okay. There, I think they're... <sighs> Arden in deep concentration. I'm going to have to call in a hint. Okay, Helen, how about that first hint? One of the groups featured Ronnie Spector. Another is a word to describe something that's clear. Crystal. Okay. Well, I know it was the Ronettes, but, but, but that's not their first name. Is that it? So the... the the, the individual name, though, is what? I'm so mad at myself right now. Crystal and Ronnie. Helen? I'm going to give it to you. Okay, she's going to give it I'm to you. It's up it to you at the judge's table. Yes, it's a Crystal Ronette. Ronette and Chiffon. I said it. The, okay, yeah, I did say did, it. I you did, did say it. it. So I did yes, say it. Helen. I did Helen say did it. Helen did give it to you. Uh, on the Billboard charts, the Ronettes hit number two with Be My Baby, the Chiffons hit number one with He's So Fine, and the Crystals hit number one with He's a Rebel. All right, you were three for three, Arden. Here's question number four. The very first words of the show tell us the exact month and day when the action takes place. What is that date? On the 24th night of the month of September. So you're going to say September 24? Yes. Okay, Helen, is it September 24? It is not. No, I'm it terribly wasn't. sorry. Wink Martindale with a chance to steal... December 15th. Is it December 15th, Helen? It is not December no, 15th. No, I'm sorry. No point for either of you. Arden, you were excruciatingly close. It's September 23rd. September, September 23rd. 23rd. Yes, the I'm 23rd. sorry. No, mm. Yes. Yes. Perhaps okay. you were thinking of the sequel that starts on September 24th. <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. All right. Fun fact, September 23rd is the birthday of Bruce Springsteen, Ray Charles, and Annie DeFranco. What an exciting trifecta. It really is. All right. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate your enthusiasm. Let's see if you can bounce back with question number five. Great. One of the notable things about Little Shop is that it became a huge hit without its original production making it to Broadway. By the time Little Shop had finished its run, it had become the highest grossing off-Broadway show ever, running for over 2,000 performances. At what off-Broadway theater did it have its amazing run? The Orpheum. Helen? That is correct. Yes! Didn't fool you on the number five. That is yes, correct. Yes, honey. Yes. Very, very nice. Uh, fun fact, on July 23rd, 1986, to celebrate the show's fourth anniversary, Audrey II put her vine prints in cement in the sidewalk in front of the theater. Listeners, if you happen to go by there, please let us know if they're still there. We'd like to know. <laughs> uh, Arden, you did very well in that round, but now here is your expert level question that requires multiple answers. It is time for your cluster fact. Great. We'll be bringing on an expert to assess your response. The main character in Little Shop is Seymour, and many acclaimed actors have taken on the role 
including myself. Thank you. Uh, your cluster fact is about three of them who appeared in recent acclaimed productions. So for up to three points, what Tony nominee for Hamilton played Seymour in the 2019 off-Broadway production? What Oscar nominee made his musical theater debut playing Seymour in the 2015 Encores production at City Center? And what eventual Tony nominee originated the role of Seymour in the 1982 production and then played Mr. Mushnick in a 2018 production at the Kennedy Center? Okay. I saw this revival. Your first, it was the gentleman who won for Something Rotten, who was so good. He was so good. I'd be real with you. I have pandemic brain. <laughs> I'm not going to. Um, I know. Remember going to theater? <laughs> so I know who it is. I know that he is that incredibly hilarious, talented gentleman. He was also in Peter and the Star Catcher. I saw him mm-hmm. in all three of these things. And I cannot remember his name. And he's brilliant. Brilliant. Okay. He's a fun rascal. Um <laughs> Number two, what was the, what was the, the what Oscar nominee made his musical theater debut playing Seymour in the 2015 Encores production at City Center? Um, I'm truly, I don't know these, I don't know these answers. I'm so sorry. I need okay. to give you something. But my brain is literally can't even think of an. Do Oscar you want to just nominee. name three people that you know? <laughs> okay, great. I was thinking Matthew Broderick, and uh-huh. then I okay, I was thinking Matthew Broderick, and then the last one was Kennedy Center, mm-hmm. and they the originated was, originated the role of Seymour in a production that you saw. Goodness. I mean, I'll say Rick Moranis, but I know that it's not. I'm so sorry. I'm terrible today. (laughs) Okay. Well, Helen is taking note of your answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Helen, who do we have tonight? Joining us tonight is a Tony-nominated actor who's appeared in over 100 movies and TV shows, 10 shows on Broadway, and originated the role of Seymour in Little Shop of Horrors. It's Lee Wilkoff. Hello, Hi, Lee Wilkoff. I saw you. I saw you. Rick Moranis. I'm so sorry, <laughs> Lee. I'm so sorry. He did the movie. I know. I know that. I said that I was blanking. He can't sing. I, I'm teasing. He was okay. I don't Aww. accept anyone when they play the soundtrack of the movie. I was like, I, that is unacceptable. It has to be like the of uh, your. Should we do it? Should we do a little? <gasps> oh my God! Are you serious? Yes. Lift up your head. Wash off your mascara. Here, take my Kleenex. Wipe that lipstick away. I'm gonna cry. Show me your face, <gasps> clean as the morning. I'm gonna cry. I know things were bad, but now they're okay. Suddenly, Seymour is standing beside you. He don't need no makeup. You don't have to pretend. Suddenly, Seymour is here to provide you sweet understanding. Seymour's your friend. Nobody ever treated me kindly. Daddy left early. Mama was poor. I'd meet a man and I'd follow him blindly. He'd snap his fingers me. I'd say, sure, suddenly see more. Oh, my God, I can't. Sweet understanding. Sweet understanding. Seymour's my man. <laughs> now you have to kiss me oh, like Ellen whoa, Green. Oh whoa. my god, that literally teared me up. I cannot thank you enough. That was thank you, really well You were of, you you were of service to me today. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well. Lee Wilkoff. Yes, not, you're not going to forget that name ever again. No, Lee Wilkoff, <laughs> my number one. I just loved that. 
Uh, Lee, I want to ask you about your career, and uh, we'll talk about more about Little Shop in a minute, although I don't think we're going to be able to top that moment. Uh, Lee, as Helen mentioned, you've appeared in over 100 movies and TV shows. Some of our listeners, of course, might remember you from This Boy's Life. You recurred on Law & Order, on Ally McBeal, uh, and then you've directed a movie uh, pretty recently. Tell us about this movie that you've directed. Uh, I directed a movie, uh, I think it came out three years ago, but it's still out there. It's called uh, No Pay Nudity, and it, it, it uh, it's about an older actor played by Gabriel Byrne, and he hangs out in the uh, Equity Lounge in New York with Nathan Lane and Francis Conroy, and uh, it's just about being a, a washed-up kind of actor who who finds out that it, it, he finds out that it's uh, you don't have to be a star to be to be an actor you you just have to be somebody that loves what you do Aww. well you obviously love what you do and it shows uh helen mentioned of course that you were a tony nominee you were nominated for kiss me kate which actually won the tony for best musical revival and for your mm -hmm. co-star brian stokes mitchell uh that's right what was your tony experience like uh, the experience of being nominated it was it was interesting because I uh, there's two two gangsters man number one and man number two it's like Laurel and Hardy mm -hmm. you can't you can't give a Tony to number one without giving one to number two so it's like we knew we weren't gonna win right. so we just like relaxed mm. and enjoyed it and you get treated nicely and you kind of feel special for the month and then. I went there like a schmuck. I, I wrote an acceptance speech. I don't know why. And uh, my good friend Boyd Gaines won, and it was nice. Can I say something to Wink first? Please. Uh, Wink, this is just so great to meet you. And when I was a little younger, uh, I, I, I just watched all the game shows that you... Uh, I made a point to watch you. I just loved your, your style and, and how smooth you were. And I always... I always wanted to have hair like you, and and, and I still do. I know. I was like, Wink looks exactly the same. You have not you aged. Look you look great. And it's just, just I thank feel you. Just honored to be in your presence. Well, thank you very much. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Both of these men are truly my childhood. Like this is my. This is tr means so much. I feel like you guys really brought me a present today. Thank you. Oh, that's lovely to hear. Leah, I want to ask you, of course, about Little Shop. Uh, you originally auditioned for a different role before you got cast as Seymour. I did. Tell us about I did. That. Uh, I knew Alan Menken. I had done a review in New York in the late 70s, and then I went out to Los Angeles. And uh, I was living out there, and I got a call from the casting director, who I was friends with in New York. And she said, come on in. They want you to audition for the role of the dentist. So back then, I uh, speaking of hair, I was wearing a, a hair piece, and uh, I went to the audition because I thought that the dentist should not be uh, hairless, and I had on my hair piece, and I walked in the room, and Alan Menken, who I knew, he saw me, and he started laughing because he knew that I was bald. <laughs> and, I, and I was so embarrassed, I ripped my uh, toupee off, and Howard Ashman said, you're a, you're you're not a dentist. You're 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 a Seymour. And uh, I sang the song "Smile," uh, the Charlie Chaplin song. Though yeah. your heart is aching, Aww. yeah, that's that was the only song that I knew. And Howard, uh, the, his assistant director, who I just like kind of keyed into. She was just so beautiful. And um, my friend called me that I had a decent audition, and my friend uh, who was the casting director called me. <gasps> That night, I was staying at a friend's wow. in New York, and she said, "You have a callback." And I said, "Yeah, that's great, but who is that? Who is that woman?" Anyhow, cut to 
Uh, as it turns out, I've heard this over the years. It was between myself and Nathan Lane um, wow. for the wow. role of Seymour. And, and Howard, the assistant director, convinced Howard for some reason to cast me and and um I married oh her my goodness. and we've been wow. married for uh, 36 years I love Connie. that yay what a story Connie Connie Grappo who who subsequently uh, went on to direct uh, Little Shop all over the world after Howard moved on to other things. Sure, oh, that's and, so and great. We're still together. I saw. I mean, I saw it. I saw it as a kid, and it, and I it was part. And I'd been to Broadway shows, which were thrilling to see. You know, the stage and the pageantry, but there was something about it. Felt like the first time, almost like being an adult. Like you were someplace fun and naughty. There was something about hmm. the. You were like, it mm-hmm. felt exciting to be in like a secret club. And I did see. We were in the East Village yeah. and it was. Yeah. And I even saw the revival, which I thought they did a good job of in the, the church, but it, it didn't quite feel tight enough. I wanted, I liked the claustrophobia of like, you got snuck into this little fun, like almost like a back room. It was so great. I remember it like vividly. And we had the Schuberts and all these big shots producing it. And they wanted it to go to Broadway. And Howard. Howard Ashman, may he rest in peace, said no, no. And I don't think it would have succeeded. Well, let's get to the reason that we brought you here as far as our game is concerned. You heard the question that we asked of Arden. We wanted to know uh, about some recent productions of it with some acclaimed actors. Uh, first, we wanted to know what Tony nominee for Hamilton played Seymour in the 2019 off-Broadway production. Helen, what did Arden say? Um, I'm... Exactly. She did not quite pull yeah. the name. <laughs> I didn't pull his resume. Yeah, I think you were actually speaking about Christian Borle, but who yes. played Seymour, Lee Wilkoff? Jonathan Groff. Jonathan Groff played Seymour. Christian Borle played the dentist. Oh, my God. Those were the credits that you were... Uh, I, didn't, I saw it, but, but I didn't see Jonathan do it. He Jonathan. was away. I, thought... I saw another young man do it. Uh, hmm. I forget his name. Jonathan was great. And yes. I thought you said winner, and that's where I got confused. Uh, no, no, the Tony nominee for Hamilton. No. Uh, sorry, no point there, but I'm so glad and a little jealous that you got to see that production. That was a very hot ticket. All right, next we wanted to know what Oscar nominee made his musical theater debut playing Seymour in the 2015 Encores production at City Center. Helen, what did Arden say? Arden said Matthew Broderick. And Lee Wilkoff? <laughs> I was not Matthew, uh, who I've worked with on The Odd Couple. Uh, I don't think he can sing, uh, but he's he's funny. Uh, it was Jake Gyllenhaal, and I saw it. Uh, Jake was about 38. Ellen was my age. I'm not going to say how old. It was pretty <laughs> interesting. Yes, and right. Ellen Green from the original production Ellen of the movie did. came Ellen back did. all those years wow. later. Wow. Yeah. He did it. And I was, I was annoyed they didn't ask me to play Mr. Mushnick. Oh. Well, that brings us to our third question. We asked what eventual Tony nominee originated the role of Seymour in the 1982 production and then played Mr. Mushnick in a 2018 production at the Kennedy Center. Helen, what did Arden say? Arden said Rick Moranis. And Moranis. Uh, I know. I knew. <laughs> I was blanking. Sake, I was blanking. For criminy's sake, sorry. Who actually did um, do that? Uh, all those wonderful things. Lee Wilcoff. Lee Wilcoff. Yeah. Uh, what was it like to be in that production again at Kennedy Center, but playing a different role? Well, first of all, doing it at the Kennedy Center was just. Just fantastic. I mean, you have to do it at the Kennedy Center, and they put us up at the Watergate Hotel. It was just great. And getting to play Mr. Mushnick. I I work with so many great Mr. Mushnicks. Um, I I work with Fivish Finkel. May he rest in peace. Jesse White. Did you know Jesse White, Wink? Terrific guy. 
Yeah, I did it with Jesse, who my grandma worked with at the Jewish Center in Akron in like the <laughs> 30s. And I did it with a man named Jaime Anzel. And I did it with this guy named Michael Vale. He was the original Mr. Mushnick. He didn't move with us. And, and, and I thought, man, these... These guys are so old. And then I looked it up when I did it at the Kennedy Center. And I looked it up, and I, the, I'm the oldest person that's ever played this It's really depressing. Well, it was very special to have you join us tonight. If people want to find out more about you, uh, where can they go, Lee Wilkoff? Uh, I'm on Instagram, and uh, I quit Facebook a few years ago. I got in too many fights um, <laughs> about politics. So I'm just on Instagram, but... Uh, no Pain Nudity is on all sorts of platforms, and it's a wonderful film. And uh, if, if you can't afford the $3, you can get in touch with me, and I'll give you the link. Aww, wow. That's so okay. sweet. Very sweet. Well, it's wonderful for you to join us. Thank you so much. Lee, Lee Wilcoff, ladies and gentlemen. Thank Bye, Arden. I have Bye. my make-a-wish. You're thank lovely. You. <laughs> Uh, Helen, what is our score at the end of that round? At the end of that round, Arden Marine has seven points and Wink Martindale has one point with a round of questions for Wink coming up. We'll talk with Wink about a topic he knows about. Plus later, Wink and Arden will go head to head in our fast facts round all to find a winner on Go Fact Yourself. This is Rachel McElroy. Hello, this is Griffin McElroy. And this is wonderful. It's a podcast that we do as uh, we ma- we are married. And how's the ad going so far? Because I think it's going very good. <laughs> we talk about things we like every week on Wednesdays. One time Rachel talked about pumpernickel bread. It was so tight. You cannot afford to miss her talking about this sweet brown bread. We also talk about music and poems and, you know, weather. There is one... Weather? <laughs> one time Rachel talked about Baby Beluga, the song, for like 14 minutes. And it just really blew my hair back. <laughs> so check us out on MaximumFun.org. It's a cool podcast with chill vibes. Amber is the color of our energy, is what all the iTunes reviews say. <laughs> they will now. Welcome back to Go Fact Yourself, where our score is Arden Marine with seven points and Wink Martindale with one point. Once again, here's Jakey Van Stratton. Thank you, Helen. All right, Wink Martindale, of your many interests, you told us you know a lot about radio history, the 1950s St. Louis Cardinals, and Elvis Presley. Let's find out a little bit more about each of those. First, you said you know a lot about radio history. Having wanted to be in radio as a kid, mm-hmm. I uh, made it my uh, business to listen to radio constantly. Every Wednesday night, I listened to Mr. District Attorney, champion of the people, <laughs> guardian of our fundamental rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Yeah, that sounds like you know more than a little bit. Just, just, just hearing you say that, I think, I think you're being modest in this category. All right, you also said you know a lot about the 1950s St. Louis Cardinals. Yeah, I grew up uh, as a kid in Jackson, Tennessee, uh, as a fan of the St. Louis Cardinals when the late Harry Carey was the broadcaster and Gabby Street was his right-hand man, later followed by Joe Garagiola. And uh, uh, we didn't have a lot of money at our family, but our dad every summer took us up to the old Sportsman's Park in St. Louis to see one or two St. Louis Cardinal baseball games. So I grew up with uh, uh, my heroes were Stan Musial, Stan the Man, and Red Shane Deanst, and people like that, Country Slaughter. So, yeah. Excellent. Uh, and then finally, you said you know a lot about Elvis Presley. Well, I'm the only living person who was at the radio station, WHBQ in Memphis, the night in July of 1954 when Sam Phillips walked in with a 
acetate of a recording he had made by a driver for Crown Electric Company that very afternoon, two hours earlier. The song was That's All Right, Mama. And uh, the name of the guy was Elvis Presley. Wow. And I met wow. him that night. <laughs> And uh, I, in fact, I was the one uh, designated by Sam Phillips, founder of Sun Records, to call Gladys and Vernon to find out where Elvis was. Because the disc jockey, Dewey Phillips, played That's All Right, Mama, seven times in a row. Switchboard lit up. Mrs. Presley said, well, he was so nervous about his record being played, he went to see a double feature Western at the Suzor's Theater. You might find him there. So his mom and dad got in the truck, went over there, walked up and down the dark aisle. Here's Elvis sitting all by himself. They whispered to him about the success <laughs> on the air of his new record and he was thrilled to death came to the radio station that night i met him then and he became my friend for the remainder of his life wow I that's mean, so cool what? <laughs> unbelievable amazing wow you in another show you could be our expert on elvis uh, let's see all right well to summarize <laughs> wink you said you know a lot about radio history the 1950 st louis cardinals and elvis presley today we're going to quiz you about the 1950 st louis cardinals uh-oh. Uh, are you still a fan and follower of the team? Well, I still watch the Cardinals uh, whenever I can on television. I still am a fan of theirs, uh, simply because I grew up as a fan of the Cardinals. So, yeah, I'm still with them. And I also, am, uh, mm -hmm. having worked for Gene Autry for years when he owned the California Angels, I'm a fan of them, too. Oh, well, the Angels are my team. So we'll, we'll have a lot to talk about uh, after the show about that. All right. Well, just ahead, we're going to enlist the help of a bona fide expert in your topic to test your mastery in the subject. But before that, to let you show your love here are five trivia questions about your topic, each worth one point. If you want it, you're allowed to hint for two of these five questions. Now, Arden, do listen closely, because if Wink answers incorrectly, you can steal. Arden, how much do you know about the 1950s St. Louis Cardinals? As much as I know about torts. A lot <laughs> okay, of well, <laughs> you scored two points in that, so we'll see. All right, here we go, Wink. Here's question number one. In 1953, Cardinals owner Fred Sy was convicted of tax fraud and put the team up for sale. What beer-making giant bought the team and owned it until 19? 1996. Anheuser-Busch. Helen? That is correct. That is correct for the point. Uh, fun fact, Anheuser-Busch wanted to name it Budweiser Stadium, but Major League Baseball wouldn't let them, so they named it Bush Stadium, then created a beer brand called Bush. They couldn't <laughs> wow. name the stadium after a beer, so they named a beer after the stadium. Wow. That's crazy. I love that. That is capitalism. Yes. Uh, here's question number two, Wink Martindale. In 1953 and 1956, the Cardinals' bullpen staff led the National League in a statistic that didn't become an official stat until 1969. What did they have the most of? Saves. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. They let in saves, even though it wasn't officially counted. Uh, fun fact for our listeners who aren't as familiar, uh, a save is usually awarded when a relief pitcher enters the game and preserves a lead. Wink Martindale, you're two for two. Here's question number three. The St. Louis Cardinals are a storied franchise with 11 championships, but during the 1950s, how many World Series did they win? In the 1950s, yes. how many World Series did they win? Yes. Um, can I have a, a hint? Yes, Helen, how about that first hint? It's the same amount as the Tampa Rays, Milwaukee Brewers, San Diego Padres, Colorado Rockies, Seattle Mariners, and Texas Rangers have won combined. They won no World Series in the 50s. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. Whoa! An excellent use of the hint. They won zero, and I think this proves that uh, you are a true fan because you were you were you chose them as a topic in an era where they did not win very many games. 
Uh, congratulations, <laughs> Wink. You are three for three. Here's question number four, uh, and it's going to be a familiar name that you talked about earlier. One player from the Cardinals who had a particularly interesting journey through the organization was Joe Gargiola. He was born in St. Louis, signed by the Cardinals at age 16, joined the Major League team at age 20, left the team in 1951, then became a broadcaster for the Cardinals in 1955. Joe Garagiola also married someone who worked for the Cardinals, Audrey Ross. What was Audrey's occupation? Hmm, give me a hint. Helen, how about that second hint? Oh, I'm afraid I don't know. That is the hint. That didn't didn't help me. No, okay, that's all right. Uh, sorry, no guess there. Uh, Arden, that means you have a chance to steal. What do you think? I'm going to guess that she played the keyboard. Helen? I'm going to give it to you. Yes. Yes, she was the organist. She was the stadium organist. Sorry about that, Wink. But very good uh, very good use of the hint uh, for Arden. Uh, George Gargiola married the Cardinals organist. He, of course, later became a game show host like yourself and a host of the Today Show. All right, let's see if you can bounce back with question number five. Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier when he became the first black player in Major League Baseball for the Dodgers in 1947. It took the Cardinals until 1954 to have a black player, a first baseman. Who was this Cardinals pioneer? I believe it was Bill White. Helen? That is not correct. No, I'm terribly sorry. Arden, I would love to give you a chance to steal. (laughs) Do you know the name of the first black player on the Cardinals? It was Gary... Johnson. Helen, was it Gary Johnson? It was not Gary Johnson. No, I'm terribly oh, sorry. Rob, a valiant, that was Rob. A I was certain guess. about that. I was certain. Oh, wow. Well, it's, it's, it's interesting. I'll, I'll double check our research, but uh, our research said it was Tom Alston. Tom oh, right. Alston. He did I, not I, have a terribly notable career with the Cardinals. That's why it was a tricky question for question number five. All right. You still did pretty well in that round, Wink Martindale, but now here is your expert level question that requires multiple answers. It is time for your cluster fact. We'll be bringing on an expert to assess your response. Wink, the Cardinals of the 1950s had some notable young players, and they weren't afraid to move veteran players to make room. In 1954, the team traded away a future Hall of Fame player to the Yankees so a rookie could play the outfield. That rookie went on to win National League Rookie of the Year. The next year, in 1955, the team moved a future Hall of Famer to first base so a rookie could play in the outfield. And that rookie also went on to win National League Rookie of the Year. For up to three points, who were those back-to-back Rookies of the Year and name one of the Hall of Fame players that made room for them in the outfield? Oh, boy. Uh, uh... Then the other part of the question is name. you can name uh, the... Hall of Famers, the future Hall of Fame players who moved from the outfield. One was traded to the Yankees, and one moved to first base. Uh, was one Enos Slaughter? Okay, we'll take note of that. And then any guess on the rookies of the year? No, I don't have a guess. I'm sorry. That's all right. See, now you know how those contestants feel on your, on your show sometimes. Uh, all well, right. I began by telling you I was a better host than a contestant. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, you've been a wonderful contestant. It's, one, it, it's, very, it's still very weird to be hosting a show with Wink Martindale as a contestant. We appreciate your being such a good sport. All right, Wink has given us his answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Helen, who do we have tonight? 
Joining us tonight is a former Major League Baseball player, manager, and coach who was the 1955 Rookie of the Year with the St. Louis Cardinals. It's Bill Verdon. Bill Verdon. Hello, Bill. Are you there, sir? I'm here. Hello, Bill. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Oh, it's so wonderful to see you. Uh, It's so wonderful to speak with you. In addition to what we're going to talk with you about, about the Cardinals, you were a Gold Glove winner, a World Series champion with the Pirates. You also managed for 15 seasons and coached for some more. Um, It's so wonderful to speak with you. Now, you grew up in in Missouri. Uh, Were you happy to be traded to the Cardinals to to play in that state? Yeah, I thought I was glad to be able to come here. While I was in spring training with the Yankees, I ran across Mickey Mantle. And I was also a center fielder, and I, I knew I wasn't going to be able to play center field when he was there. <laughs> well, there was a rumor that one of the other reasons that you might have gotten traded is that you made a very interesting throw during spring training. Do you remember that, that, uh, that reached Casey Stengel? Unfortunately, I remember it very well. <laughs> Can you tell us about that? I was working out with the other outfielders, Mantle, Bauer, and Woodling, and Triandis, and some others. And we were working on throwing to a cutoff man. And it came my turn. I come in and caught the ball and threw it. But I threw it a little bit wide to high. And that went over the cutoff guy's head. And Stengel happened to be walking behind the infield. And I hit him right in the back with my wide throw. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> And two weeks later, they traded you to St. Louis. Oh, no. Oh, goodness. I turned around when after I saw what I had done, and I turned around to get among the outfielders, and they're all laying on the ground pointing. He did it. He did it. He did it. Oh, man. <laughs> I was interested in reading that you never went on the disabled list. You never had an injury that took you out of uh, being able to play. How did you manage to stay so healthy for such a long career? Good genes, I guess. You were were eating your Wheaties. (laughs) Well, that plus other things. Yeah. Oh, you were part of the 1960 World Series, which had one of the most famous endings in in all of sports. And it almost didn't happen. It was a a walk-off home run that ended the World Series. It's the only home run that ended a Game 7 of a World Series uh, to date. Uh, And it almost didn't happen because of sort of a crazy play that you were involved in. Tell, Tell us about that crazy play that kept that game going. Well, we went into the bottom of the eighth inning, and we were losing seven to four. We went to bat in the eighth inning. Gino Smalley got a pinch hit for the pitcher and got a base hit, and I was the next hitter. I came up, and the pitcher, who was a right-handed pitcher, I don't remember his name, but he made a bad pitch, a high fastball. My favorite pitch to hit. And I hit it as hard as I could hit it. And I saw where I hit it, and I said, oh, shoot. Maybe not in those words. (laughs) (laughs) But I was only about a step out of the water's box, and it got to Quebec, the shortstop, and made a bad hop, bounced up and hit him in the throat, and bounced into the outfield. Samoli got on third, and I ended up on first, and nobody out. Wow. It, it's amazing the things that have to happen for, for, for a dramatic moment like that. What was your thought when you saw that Bill Mazeroski hit that home run? What, what, what was your reaction? Can you even put it into words? Well, he made me one of the happiest guys in the ballpark because I had my bat in my hand getting on deck ready, ready to be the next 
bitter. And I didn't want to hit again if I didn't have to. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I have kind of an odd question for you, but I noticed that you were one of the f- few players I can remember from that era who wore glasses. Uh, was that a w- was that something that you, that was a difficult decision for you to to wear glasses while you were playing? And it, did you ever get teased or razzed by other other players for wearing glasses on the field? I don't remember ever getting teased. Okay, but and okay. I was I was happy to get to wear them because I could see better. Yeah, <laughs> I understand that's important when you're trying to play baseball. Yes. Uh, and if I can ask you one question about your personal life, if I'm not mistaken, you've been married for over sixty years. Wow. Well, try 68. 68, Whoa, excuse me. Inv- congratulations. Well, I was going to say, I have to be the lucky one. She put up with me for that one. <laughs> that's sweet. We've got three long timers on this show today. That's wonderful to, that's wonderful to hear. Um, well, let's get to the reason that we brought you here as far as our game is concerned. You heard the question that we asked of Wink Martindale. We wanted to know who were those two back-to-back rookies of the year. Uh, Helen, uh, was Wink able to give us any answers for those rookies of the year? No. No, he was not, unfortunately. But uh, Bill Verdon, can you tell us who were those back-to-back rookies of the year? You mean 54 and 55? That's right. Wally Moon and Bill Verdon. There you go. All right, Wink was not able to pull the names of those rookies of the year, but you did give us an answer for one of the Hall of Famers who was moved to make room for one of those rookies. Helen, who did Wink say? Wink said Enos Slaughter. And so Enos Slaughter was one of those players, right? Well, I think it was. (laughs) Yeah, I think so too. So Enos Slaughter is correct for the point for Wink Martindale. Good job. And then the other one was Stan Musial. Who did Stan Musial move to make room in the outfield for? Me. (laughs) Uh, Wink Martindale, while we have Bill Verdon here, is there anything you'd like to ask him or uh, say to him while we have him here? No, I'd just like to say that I've always been, a, uh, as you know, a Cardinal fan. And, Bill, I uh, watched your career with uh, great uh, pleasure and enjoyment over the years. And it's a pleasure to finally, in this uh, particular way, to get to meet you after all these years. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for making the time to talk with us. It's been an absolute pleasure and an honor. I'm, of course, a huge baseball fan. I knew you more as a manager, but to be able to, to talk with you is a, is a real pleasure. We thank you so much for joining us. It's my pleasure. Aww. Helen, what is our score as we go into the final round? At the end of that round, Arden Marine has eight points and Wink Martindale has five points. All right, but now it is time for our final round we call Fast Facts. I'll read 10 statements, and each contestant will answer with true or false. I'll start with Arden and alternate between each guest. Each correct answer is worth one point. Again, the answer to each statement is true or false. Here we begin. Arden, the comic book Wonder Woman was made into a TV show. True. That is correct. Wink, the Wonder Woman TV show premiered in the 1990s. False. Correct. That's right. It was the 1970s. Arden, Wonder Woman was played by Linda Lavin. False. Correct. That's right. She played Alice. Wink, Wonder Woman was played by Linda Carter. True. Correct. Arden, there was an episode of Wonder Woman called Amazon Hot Wax. False. Incorrect. No, there really was. Wow. Wink, in that episode, Wonder Woman went undercover in the record business to break up an extortion ring. True. Correct. Arden, also in that episode, Wonder Woman records songs that happened to appear on Linda Carter's album. True. Correct. Wink, that album was called Amazon Hot Wax. False. Correct. Yes, it was called Portrait. Arden, that album is available for sale on Amazon. True. Correct. 
Wink, as of this recording, the CD of that album on Amazon costs $902.81. False. Incorrect. No, it really does. And finally, Arden, it's worth every penny. Yes, it really is. I, If I was a rich woman, I would buy a copy for each of you. All right, we're not going to count that last one. We're going to thank Wink Martindale and Arden Marine as Helen tabulates the final score. Helen, are you ready to announce the winner of tonight's episode? I am. At the end of the game, Arden Marine has 12 points and Wink Martindale has 9 points. A very nice game. Congratulations, though, Arden. You are the facting champion on Go Fact Yourself. What will you do with your championship? I'm going to run around my neighborhood and scream, I did it, guys. I brought it home. (laughs) (laughs) I would like to be in your neighborhood, although depending on how loud you scream, maybe I'll be able to hear it. It will be alarming. (laughs) That just gives us the opportunity for uh, everyone on the panel to promote any upcoming products, appearances, or services. Arden, where can people find you and your work? Thank you so much. I'm on Instagram at Arden Marine, A-R-D-E-N-M-Y-R-I-N. And my book, Little Miss Little Compton, is available for pre-order, and it comes out on September 29th. I think it's a really fun read with a lot of heart. Excellent. Well, you are fun with a lot of heart as well. We enjoyed having Ms. Arden Marine. Thank you. Wink Martindale, what an incredible honor. Where can people find you and your work? I understand you have a website as well. Yeah, it's uh, winkmartindale.org. And uh, my book called Winking at Life is available there. It's a story of my life and game shows and radio. And and I uh, hope uh, folks will take a, take, take a look at it. Well, I'll say we only just scratched the surface of all the incredible stories that you have. I, I really recommend that book. I enjoyed reading it uh, as well. And really, what a treat and a pleasure and an honor to have Mr. Wink Martindale on oh. our game show. Thank you, sir. Thank you. All right, ladies and gentlemen. My hosting partner is the lovely, the talented Ms. Helen Hong. Where can people find you? Hello. I am on uh, two shows, soon to be three shows on Netflix. I am on a show called Huge in France. I am on a show called Ashley Garcia, Genius in Love. And September 10th uh, premiering will be The Babysitter 2, Killer Queen. Ooh, are you the babysitter or the killer or the queen? You'll have to tune in September 10th to find out. That is called promotion, and that is from Ms. Helen Hong. And me, you can find me on Twitter at J underscore Keith, on Instagram at jkeith.net, all spelled out. That just leaves me to thank Arden Marine, Wink Martindale, Lee Wilkoff, Bill Verdon. Please like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, all at GoFactorPod. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Update our wiki at gofactorwiki.fandom.com and buy our T-shaped shirt at MaxFunStore.com. I'm J. Keith Van Stratton. Good night. Like what you hear? Come see us live. Someday. It's free. Go to GoFactorPod.com for our schedule and tickets. And give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts like Grackle Lackle did. He, she, or they said, fun times. J. Keith's jokes crack me up. Thanks, Grackle Lackle. I wish I had a joke. Helen? Go Fact Yourself is a panel quiz program devised by Jim Newman and J. Keith Van Stratton and comes to you via transcription from various homes across the country. Questions on Go Fact Yourself were compiled by the Trivia Industrial Complex. It is produced in collaboration with Maximum Fun. Go Fact Yourself's theme song and incidental music were written and performed by Jonathan Green. Maximum Fun's senior producer is Laura Swisher. Associate producer editor and all-around great guy is Julian Burrell. Special thanks to Marty Willitson at the Missouri Sports Hall of Fame, Ben Lindbergh of the Effectively Wild podcast, Lisa Brown, Shirley Verdon, Sandy Martindale, Shelley Herman, Jessica Brand, Kurt Carley, Brian Steverson, Larry Lester, Stephen Geicher, 
Rick Zucker, Jacob Pumrenke, Bob Rosen, Jim Moskovitz, Sarah Rodenbaugh, Brandon J. Carr, Clint Tauscher, Mike Avellanos, Adam Nedef, Dave Bianchi, Erich Tran, and Christine Bellata. I've been Helen Hong. Let's sing Suddenly Seymour. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture Artist owned Audience supported